Hello, and welcome to episode 257 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Eric Borden, creator of Lead City, in previews now from Red 5 Comics and in shops March 30th, 2022. Um, this is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. So Eric, thanks so much for, for joining us on the show. Let's do what we normally do at the beginning. Let's do the... Uh, brief bio and an elevator pitch for this awesome book that's in previews right now. That sounds great. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, my name is Eric Borden. I'm a writer of screenplay and comics uh, and film work. Probably I'm best known for the oft optioned and not yet made script called Fever, uh, a noir thriller. And then in comics, uh, best known for Scrimshaw, which I did 10 issues uh, probably about four years back with Alterna Comics. And then uh Moved on to Lead City, a four-issue Western currently being published by Red 5 Comics, and I reside in Indianapolis, Indiana, by way of Las Vegas, Nevada. Nice. And uh, just sort of like, uh, you know, uh, elevator opens, uh, Jim Lee's there, and he, he wants to know about uh, Lead City. What's, what's, your, what's your elevator pitch there? Absolutely. Uh, Lead City is the story. It's a Western, the story of a man named Coleman Cooper who set out from his home in Missouri, headed out west with his family when calamity befalls him in the high in the Sierra Nevadas. And through a series of mishaps, he finds himself embroiled in a gun battle with seven of the deadliest gunfighters that the Wild West has to offer in a free for all gunfight in a winner-take-all battle for the richest prize in the West. Nice. So, Noah, um, I'll let you lead off. Uh, what, what would you be your first question for Eric here about this book? Um, my, yeah, my first question is about uh, what, what drew you to this story specifically. Like, you know, uh, it, it, seems, it seems like it has a lot of the, like, you know, Western archetypes with some twists in there as well. Uh, but I'm just sort of curious, sort of like, what, 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 what inspired you to tell this story? Yeah, I always wanted to take on a Western, like I said, a byway of Las Vegas, Nevada. I always wanted to take on a Western. You know, it's it's just rich with hard people and just the business of living of that period of time was just a hard scrabble existence. It seemed like everybody was armed to the teeth. And, you know, it, it it's just rich with those characters that need to have their story told. But it's also a, an often told story, you know, I mean, we've all seen Westerns, they're still making them, they'll always make them from, from spaghetti Westerns up, up to, you know, the modern, the modern era, you know, they're still remaking the Magnificent Seven. So I, I think those stories will always be told. So I wanted to, I wanted to turn the genre on its ear, really. And, you know, I, I'm always intrigued by gunfights and any, you know, history has told us a thousand times about, you know, we'll meet in the street at noon and draw, right? That's, that's the big myth that, that took place in the Wild West. So I was always intrigued by that. And that's been well done in, in, you know, theater for decades. So I wanted to take that and kind of turn it on its ear and introduce those, those hard scrabble gunfighters that are going to come out and compete for the richest prize in the West. And, you know, what happens when you turn a, a, a somewhat ordinary man you know, turn him into a corner with no place to go and, and how he would react in that situation and how he would fight for survival. So I wanted to, wanted to turn the genre in its ear in that respect. And I didn't want it to be 
that classic, you know, what you, what you see that, that draw in the street at noon, cause that's been done. So I wanted to get out there and, you know, I created lead city, which is a city built just for the gunfight. So, you know, it's, it's a 1800s Coliseum, if you will, where the gladiators all go in at once and, you know, may the best person win. Yeah. I, I, I got the, um, you know, I got the sort of classic, like it's sort of cool about this book is that it's sort of a mixture of a bunch of classic Westerns and even some like lesser known ones. Like I think the, I mean, I'm just taking a wild guess, but sort of the idea of the competition kind of comes from something like the quick and the dead, which is kind of an underrated Western, right? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. I call it the quick and the dead meets Thunderdome. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's got Thunderdome. It's also got like, you know, the regular, the regular war veteran seems very like 310 to Yuma inspired. And then of course you have like the seven gunfighters, which is a great reference to like the magnificent seven just sort of thrown on its head as being like, like the seven deadly sins almost, uh, or like, um, the, the seven, I think it's, is it called the seven venoms? I think it's a Kung Fu film. I think that's what it's called. And, uh, uh, I like that idea, um, like a lot of great classic archetypes, but I'm kind of interested sort of like you're talking about flipping it on its head. What's sort of something that you were like, oh, this is something like, you know, you wouldn't see being inspired, like inspiring a Western that sort of inspired you to write this story. Like what was there a comic or a movie that was like, oh, I wonder what this would look like in a Western. Yeah, I think the the biggest one of those would be uh, Smoke and Aces. Like that, that particular film, and I don't know if you're familiar with Smoking Ace, so I feel like a lot of people are, you know, I, th- I think it's, it's an under-celebrated film. I think it has a business going on that's full of wildly colorful criminals and very human stories. And it takes place like just under the surface of the world that you or myself, you know, Matt could walk through in a day. And it feels like you know, that could be going on and we just can't see it because we're going to our job and we're making comics or we're doing whatever we're doing. But it really feels like that could be going on. We just don't know about it because we're not involved. You know what I mean? And I, I wanted to get into that piece because it, as as outrageous as it is, you know, that that happens in my life. You could go back to the, you know, the L.A. bank robbery with automatic weapons and stuff back in the 90s. Those those types of things do go on in modern day. But, you know, it feels like it's just under the surface of things we don't see because we don't think in those ways. And that's what I love about Smoking Aces is, you know, that was something that felt like it could go on. And what would that look like? And I think the Wild West has, you know, it's a little more on the surface there because, you know, everybody's carrying guns and, you know, that that could go on. You know, you can shoot somebody in the street and, you know, it was legal or not. You know, there's a gray area there. So. It, it lent itself a little more easily to telling that story. Awesome. Nice. So uh, we're certainly going to come back to uh, this book, but uh, there was a couple of things that you said in your intro that I, if, if I could, I'd like to, to circle back to. Sure. Um, now you mentioned a, a background in screenplay and a book before this, uh, I believe you said it was Scrimshaw. Um, that was 10 issues. Um, which of those came first, uh, that book, uh, the comic book or, or the screenplay? Um, I did the screenplay first. That's where I started. I started, uh, you know, I went to film school way back when, you know, did that, directed a couple shorts, was always interested, and then moved to Las Vegas and kind of lost that for a while because I was working in the club business, making good money and just kind of living life. And, you know, in my 20s, I felt like my writing was pretty wooden. 
like maybe I didn't have enough life experience under me or whatever that just, you know, it didn't, didn't breathe that life into it. And so after I lived a little bit more and kind of got away from it, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go start writing shorts again. I started taking, you know, place in this contest called NYC Midnight, just like a writing prompt contest where they give you a genre subject and an object and you have 24 to 48 hours to write a, a screenplay based on those. And I did pretty well in that contest uh, with my first one. And, you know, I was like, okay, so now that I'm enjoying this again and kind of picking, picking writing back up, where do you go from there? So we we'll moved on to UCLA and took the writing program there. They have an extension writing course and you write a feature over a series of weekly classes and things like that. So that's where I wrote Fever. And it was a noir thriller with elements of horror and things like that. And um, yeah, started there and did well with Fever. Like I said, it got optioned a couple of times, had some nibbles and what have you. And, you know, once that, once that option didn't really pop, like it was my fifth grade dream come true, basically, you know, Blanc Bean Productions, which is Michael Bean's production company. Uh, we were in talks with them and doing some notes for them. And, you know, it, it went the way a lot of Hollywood productions go and things like that. It kind of got option. We did some things and, you know, kind of got shelved, which is okay. And, you know, I was like, oh, I was right there. You know, it was, it was going to be really cool to have a film made. And I was like, well, what can I do? What medium can I get into to kind of be able to create the whole thing myself, you know, from bang to bullets, start to finish. I'm going to be able to write the story get my own team together and create something. So I felt like, you know what, I can do that with comics. Like I can literally take it and have the finished product in my hand. And so I shifted gears, took a, took a course with comics experience on how to, you know, write a proper comic script. And then it was off to the races. You know, I didn't, I didn't know a thing about self-publishing or anything like that. We funded the first book on Kickstarter, you know, published it ourselves and showed up at a comic convention and started selling books. And that's when it got picked up after that for, for distribution. I think that was 2017. So yeah, a number of years back now. So yeah, did Scrimshaw, did 10 issues of that with uh, Alterna Comics and left them in 2019, I think. Yeah, 2019. Okay. Uh, so, you know, we've had a few people. Um, it seems like this is a, uh, a common sort of career path for folks to take um, is that, uh, you know, it's the love of film. It's the... Uh, uh, it's the, you know, entering into film and by, you know, either budgetary or just sort of the politics of it, you know, it, it's so hard to do that. But then, like you said, there was something you could do, you know, soup the nuts on your own and control and, and get it done. Um, so can we talk a little bit about the um, similarities of, of writing uh, a screenplay and, and writing uh, a comic script? I, I know that there's some things that are the same and there's some things that are, are fairly different. Um, do you think that background helped you? And I also know that you took some, some, some classes at, at Comics Experience as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would say, and I, you know, I always say my artists make me look good. And that's, that's the one thing that was really flexible for me going into it. Because, you know, it, it's funny, I wrote scripts for years and going back to that wooden feel. It's like when I finally threw the rules out of the window, like, oh, I'm not going to do this in, in a film script. I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to, I literally went to write Fever and I said, I'm just going to make it cool. Right. I didn't go into it saying anything else, but that I don't care about you know, script format. Oh, you can't do this. I mean, formatted correctly, obviously through software, but I'm saying 
I don't care to follow the rules of what they say. Don't put what's in the character's head. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to make it sound cool, right? And once I let go of those conventions in that respect, that's that's when Fever really took off and was something to be celebrated. And so when I stepped into the comic medium, you know, I, I stepped in with that sort of thing in mind, you know, because it's a, it's a extremely collaborative medium with your artist. And any artist I've worked with, like I said, I, I'm extremely open to what they want to do because you know they can make it look way cooler than I can think about it you know I'll get locked into this idea of at least when I stepped in of storyboarding right because that's that's the that's how you would set up film shots but in a in a comic book you're not shooting frame for frame and back and forth because that would be you know 11 pages of boring of back and forth so you don't want to get locked into that so you know, I write the feelings, I write how they feel. And that that's the good part. You write the feelings as something you wouldn't normally put in a film script, but you can put that because you need to convey that to your artist of, you know, how someone's supposed to look, how are they feeling inside, things like that, because that plays into the art that they're going to make. So that's what was what made the jump easy is it allowed me, I didn't have a, such a tight hold on the story. Mm-hmm. that the artist didn't have a lot of wiggle room to do what they wanted to do with the picture. So that, that's what made it very cool for me. You know, about the only thing I'm locked into is getting page turns. Cause I feel like that's, that's where I can really surprise people, you know, in the, in the language of comics. So. Yeah. And you wouldn't necessarily be able to do that in, in a screenplay. Cause this is another thing that we've talked about is that like, um, you know, when we watch a movie, you know, the three of us, we sit down to watch Tenet we all experience that minute of screen time um, in the same way. Um, But you can read a comic at your own pace. You know, if there's a panel that really draws you in, um, you might, uh, you know, take in all the details, look at it once or twice, sort of slow down the the storytelling. Um, And then there's things that artists can do. And Noah can speak to this a little bit is, you know, you drop out the background, you make the panel smaller. So, um, the pace changes there. So that was something that, that you um, incorporated, you know, different from screenplays as the, as the page turn and the pacing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You can't really, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's a vernacular that, I mean, maybe a jump cut or something like that, that, that would equate to a page turn, but yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's the love of story that gets you there, but it's mm-hmm. the mechanics that work differently. And I didn't feel like that hamstring me because I know a lot of people say, oh, I'm going to take my script and I'm going to make it into a comic book or what have you, you know, and they're going to, it's going to be the most kind of staid and robotic, like, oh, it's going to, we're just going to get it word for word off my screenplay and we're going to be 90 pages of talking heads because I got to get my dialogue in and stuff like that. And it's like, I was never married to that because I felt like, you know, I need to give the artist room it was easy to pare down. And I think that prepared me at least in a screenplay. Cause I don't come from novel writing where you're trying to fill pages, right? You have to be very economical with your dialogue and things like that in a screenplay because you need it to, to convey it. So that being a visual medium, that show don't tell sort of thing really aided me in writing pretty lean scripts and things like that. And I know the, the artists that I've worked with have appreciated that over time and stuff like that. And it allows them a lot of flexibility, which I appreciate. Cause like I said, they've been making me look good uh, on the books I've worked on. So between Dave on uh, Scrimshaw, Dave Mims on Scrimshaw and Kyle Brumman on lead city, those guys have made me look really good. So, you know, happy to, happy to have a good collaboration with them. Cool. 
Um, so I'll check in with Noah for, for a question. I have a few lined up in my head, but I, I don't want to monopolize the, the interview. So Noah, what, uh, what questions would you have for Eric? Yeah, I'm just curious now about like what, how your scripts look. So, you know, you were talking about, you, you kind of, it was cool because you're talking about sort of the merging of screenwriter to comic writer and sort of in the meanwhile, you sort of take more of a directorly approach to your script writing. So I'm just curious what your scripts look like. Do you have camera angles and things like that in mind for the script or are you just sort of like purely focused on the performance of the characters in, uh, on, your, on the page of your script? Yeah, if it's a, you know, that's a good question. If it's a, there have been things and it's the funniest, like I'll write, if it's something I'm married to because it's chore fight choreography or something like that. Like if I've set up something cool that's out of the ordinary that I really have in my head that I want it to go down. Like I'll, I'll draw the sorriest stick figure you've ever seen to, mm -hmm. to convey that, you know, and be like, Hey, this is how I want it to look. And they'll, you know, put the meat on the bones of that sort of thing. But that's, that's few and far between. Like I said, these guys make me look good and I'll, I'll pace a fight really well because I know where I'm headed and, you know, I'll key off dialogue because that's one of the funnest things, you know, is the, the trash talk during a fight and stuff like that. You know, not that that always has to be the case, but especially in lead city, you know, that's, that's the opportunity for these guys to really face off. And so, yeah, I, I enjoy choreo choreography, fight choreography in, in terms of that. But, you know, I'm always open to, hey, we could do it like this and wouldn't this be much cooler? And that's what's been cool with with Lead City. Kyle and I have had a lot of back and forth with how the action is going to play and stuff like that. So definitely, definitely take take a directorial driver's seat to that. But I'm always open to, hey, wouldn't this be wouldn't this be something if we could execute this? Awesome. So um, how did you and, and Chad hook up to, to be the team on, on this book? Uh, Kyle. Yeah. Kyle, I'm sorry. Thank you. No, yeah, no worries. Kyle, uh, Kyle, actually, I met for the first time in, at Palm Springs Comic Con. He's also from Las Vegas. And I was out there with my book, Scrimshaw, and he had a book called Flesh or Blood that he was out there with. He also does a book called Justice. And we had seen each other, you know, I mean, you see the same faces on the comic convention circuit in artist alley and stuff like that. So you'll, you'll see the same faces and, you know, we get out there and the guys I, I run with at conventions, we like to, you know, have a few drinks and have a few laughs and, you know, drink beers and what have you at the cons and kind of cut it up. That's our fun time. You know, all the work, all the hard work is done. And now you just get to sell the book and talk about what you love to do. And so we, we get out there and we always generate a lot of fun around the booth and sell a lot of books and, Kyle saw that and he's like, man, I like what you guys got going on. So when, when he was an artist and me being a writer, it was kind of that natural marriage. He's like, you know, he called me one day. He's like, we should work on something or at least kick the idea around. And so we met at uh, green Valley ranch, which is a casino out in Las Vegas, kicked around some ideas, you know, and kind of, kind of backburnered it. Cause we all had our own stuff going on. He was working on his books. I'm committed to scrimshaw cause I'm pushing it and stuff like that. So kind of backburnered that. And I guess uh, I ended up moving from Las Vegas and we had, we had been fleshing out lead city and stuff like that. I'm like, Hey man, let's get serious about this. So we put it on Kickstarter and said, we're just going to do it, you know? And we started, I guess. Yeah. It's been last year early. Yeah. I would guess I say we ran both campaigns right as the pandemic was starting and stuff like that. So kind of filled our pandemic space creating and, 
and writing this book and things like that. So kind of evolved from there, but yeah, just being out there, pressing the flesh and, you know, meeting another guy who loves comics and, you know, knew he was serious about what he was doing. You know, you got to keep an eye on who you're with out there in artist alley and stuff like that. You start seeing the same faces, you know, they have the affliction as my wife calls it. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) you know, yeah, I, I would think that that's important that you know that he he's got that passion and you also know that he has the ability to to finish um, to finish a book and you know you can pick up his book and and and, and page through it and I don't I, I I would assume that Noah would Noah would say this is probably the same thing but that's like uh, the ultimate sort of por- portfolio piece is to hand somebody something that you know was completely done because you know everybody, well, not everybody, I can't do it really well, but, you know, there's lots of like pinups or, or, or people who do covers, but, you know, to see somebody who's done it, you know, and certainly in a book like this, where you have people, you know, planning, scheming, sitting down, talking things out, you need to know that the artist has that ability. So when you pick that up, you probably knew um, that, you know, this was a good team to, to try to form, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate calling card is your finished book. You know what I mean? It, it gives that instant confidence that that person can and will execute, you know, they've done it before and there's no doubt that they can complete, you know? Yeah. So Noah, now that we're, we're probably knee deep in the, in the art discussion as, as, as the artist here on the podcast, uh, what, uh, what questions would you have for Eric? Um, you know, I, I, I don't really have too many questions about the art, which is sort of funny um, for once, but the, uh, I guess what I was thinking about while you guys were talking through sort of finding an artist and sort of the collaborative process of things, I guess I was just sort of wondering what were the, like, you know, did you have the bones of an idea for this book when you were talking with, um, well, I already forgot his name, Kyle, while you were talking with Kyle, or was this something that you guys were just like sharing what you loved about Westerns and then, then the idea sort of came from there? No, I knew I knew I wanted to do, you know, I, I already been, you know, they tell you as a writer to, to build that rogues gallery. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always thinking about because that's what I like. To, I like to write criminals a lot, you know, but not not your classic criminal, but like, you know, misunderstood antihero and stuff like that. Why did he turn to a life of crime? So you're always imagining these in-depth people who inhabit these worlds and things like that. So I always knew I wanted to do that and I'm kicking it around and you know, I always wanted to know I wanted to do a gunfight. And then as we were kind of pitching ideas back and forth, that's the one that really took root because it was, you know, I had, I had the world inhabited. I had the characters down. I had, you know, their lives, their lives fleshed out. That's one of the things that I, I enjoy most is that when you, when you can get in and in some of the volumes of, of lead city, I have full character bios, you know, from where they came from, how they got there, what their parents did, like, you know, that really informs how a character feels in a book. I mean, even the, even the criminals, it's like nobody comes out a criminal or starts that way anyway. And so how did they end up there and why, and you know, what their motivations are for being there. And so kind of getting into that. And once, once I pitch Kyle that he's, he's like, Oh, okay. You know, you got a pretty solid world fleshed out and what these people are about and stuff like that. So when I was able to hand those over to Kyle, he was able to start, you know, putting, putting the actual meat on the bone of who these people are, what they look like and things like that. So plus living in Las Vegas, it's easy to get in touch <laughs> with the West, the wild West. It's all out there outside your door. We live in a desert. So, 
you know, you're looking at the rocks and the cactus and all that stuff. So it just seemed a, a real natural fit at that point. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, it was just, it, it felt the best, most fleshed out, ready to roll story that can be told in tight, tight confines too. You know what I mean? Like, I think any of us as, as writers, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you feel about this, Matt, but you know, I'm sure you got your magnum opus kicking around in there that if money were no object, you know, what would I do? And how far would I go with it and stuff like that? But, you know, we can't, we can't do that. And, you know, I'm collaborating with Kyle and he's, he's wanting to work with me and, you know, we both have our lives and children and stuff like that. So we can't tell a, a 24 issue sprawling, you know, story on the level of Dune. So how can we tell a four issue tight, compact story that is going to compel people and make them, make them sit up and take notice of what's going on. And it's like, well, you know, this little, this little quick in the dead Thunderdome story seems real tight and compact and something that we can, we can make and get done. You know, it's about finishing that thing. I think that's one of the most important things for creators to realize is finish that thing. You know, like we talked about earlier, it's getting, getting that book done, getting that calling card done, letting anybody you might incur at a convention or anywhere else know you can complete the task and tell a cohesive story and the pictures look good, you know that's that's the ultimate goal yeah um so i, I don't want to follow up on something you said about uh, you know you, you created these detailed um sort of character sheets you know you know their, their family background how they ended up at this point um is it seven contestants that are in the the street fight and is that including our our main character uh it's eight total and coleman okay. is the eighth okay yeah. So was it always that number of contestants like uh, or, or characters? Were there people that like you might have started off and you go, ah, don't quite have it. And that one draw that one drops out like or did they just perfectly form that you, you got these seven that were seven plus Coleman like, uh, you know, that's who we have in, in the contest. Well, you know, I like to go a little further. There were people, you know, there were people who got cut. You know, it's like picking your high school basketball team when you're playing with your buddies. It's like who's who's getting picked last, you know. So mm -hmm. it's like I said, the Wild West is rich with those archetypes and things like that. And you know, there's there's a lot to pull from. There's that you know the warrior myth of of you know Native Americans and things like that. And and so you just have such a rich, rich, diverse culture at that point in time and all in conflict with each other and things like that. So, yeah, there were other characters in there. It wasn't like everyone was dimed out right away, mm -hmm. but I knew as we were establishing them, which way I wanted to go with them and how they were going to fit together and things like that. But there, there were a couple I had in my hip pocket that didn't make the cut for sure. Okay. And so, you know, you, you turn these, these character sheets off, the, the, maybe like a world Bible, um, and Kyle starts giving you some, some character sketches back. Were there any that like, he surprised you? Cause as writers, you know, we envision things in our mind's eye before um, the, the artist that we collaborate puts them down the paper. Were there any that he surprised you that was like, Oh man, he nailed, but was in my mind's eye or, Oh, you know, he, he made it look so much cooler than I ever, ever thought it could be. Were there any of these characters that, that hit that mold or fit that mold? Yeah, man, there's a couple. Um, there's, there's one, there's, well, there's actually two that, that it's, it's fireworks both in the way they came out when you first see them mm -hmm. and in the book, 
it even levels up even more. And that was uh, Wendell Walker. He's a Union soldier who's a Buffalo soldier and kind of moves on. And he has, you know, the malady of, of he's insane. He carries a Kachina doll and things like that. And the way, the way Kyle put that together, I mean, he's a, he's a complete and utter beast in the book. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in, in terms of his fighting prowess, and he makes him look like such a man of peace in the in the pinup that he did, the first rendering of him, and he captures it so well. And then the second one is uh, a guy named Harlan Crouch. They call him the Huntsville Hammer, and he's uh, he's an ex Confederate guerrilla, and you know he fought that kind of guerrilla warfare like Bloody Bill and things like that. And so he comes in and and he moves so languidly in the book. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even down to his teeth, his teeth move. And I, I mean, they don't move, obviously, but they look like they do. And it's like, man, you have nailed this dude and the scumbag that he is so well that it's it's staggering. And so, yeah, he just he leveled it up and it was so well done. I mean, from start to finish in the book, the way he captured those two, especially. And and Wendell is is the action between him and, and the guy that he fights is completely outrageous. So yeah, it's, it's fireworks for sure. And one thing that I, I really enjoyed that I don't think I, I've seen a lot in the art style that, that Kyle does is the, um, and Noah, Noah probably picked up on this as well as I really enjoyed the way he handled uh, shadows. Um, yeah. It wasn't sort of, it's not sort of just sort of darkening the color, like under the brim of a hat or, you know, the fold of, of a piece of clothing. He does, he does this really unique sort of pattern of, of cross hatching that we see throughout the book that I thought that that was a really unique sort of uh, way to do it. That looks different than, than a lot of things that we see. I, I got that. It was kind of a, it felt like it was woodcut, so it was sort of like the 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 newspapers at that time. If they had an illustrator come in to do a scene, it sort of went for that. Was that part of Kyle's style from the beginning, or was that a direction you guys both took on the book? Um, Kyle definitely developed his style, but if if you if anybody's familiar with this flesh or blood, he definitely has that real angular style, mm-hmm. and. He definitely has those lines and things like that, but he definitely leveled it up and, and, and put that, like you said, that cross hatching and those, those pattern, that pattern work and things like that to really kind of flesh out and, and give a texture to the work. And, but yeah, that's, that's Kyle's style. And that's what kind of lent itself to this particular book in particular, you know what I mean? It's his level. He would be better to talk to it, talk, speak to it than I would in terms of that. But yeah, he definitely just leveled himself up. You know, he was, it, it's always been a style. I don't know how to describe it. And, you know, it's not my work. And I, I, I don't speak about, I can't speak about how sure. he delivers the way he does. But he, like I said, I just gave him a ton of wiggle room with what he wanted to do. And he took it there. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, yeah. But cool. he, he definitely had his, his angular style in his books, like to take a look at any of his books that's that's definitely his style and that cross hatching pattern stuff like that you know you'd you'd have to get in his mind but yeah he definitely took it there yeah i 
and and this is just sort of me sort of again as somebody who's mainly a writer sort of trying to think this through but i i think that it really sort of helps to you know it feels like dirt and grit like you know sand is sand is on them and, and it just sort of kind of helps that the feeling that not er things are things aren't like dirty but not not every surface is is clean they're going to have some dust on them you know and, and stuff like that so i really feel like that helps a, a lot yeah i would agree with you it's you know it's a it's a dirty story it really <laughs> is i mean we we call it a splatter western you know and it it is that there were some conversations that him and i had and one of one of the questions that we actually had to go back and forth on was like you know, can a human do that to another human? Like, and we still don't know, but they mm -hmm. did it anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and it, it just because it hasn't been done, that's the beauty of comics, right? It's like, we can, we can make them do it. <laughs> so. It's also yeah. like the beauty of art, right? You know, it's just, yeah. you know, whatever, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's sort of a cathartic thing, right? like to to put it out there to be like i have to get this out of my head you know and that can yeah. be a good thing and a bad thing but obviously but it also is just like it's just the nature of art you know yeah you can certainly stretch that stretch the boundaries and you know it's it's just like in anything else man it's the suspension of disbelief yeah you know it's it's you know it goes you know i usually use that like i i don't know who your guys worst villain is but for me it's you know, to, to go to Game of Thrones, one of the good seasons was Ramsey Bolton. Like, there was no death bad enough for that dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? There's there's no death bad enough for that guy. And so that's yeah. when you know it's well-written. It's like, man, you just want him to die so bad. You want him to die again after he dies. It's like, yeah. and, and that's like, like you're talking about that catharsis. It's like, how do you put someone in touch with that thing? It's like, ooh. How do you really get them, get the audience involved and, and to get them to the point where, yeah, like that dude. Okay. We're, we're there. We can, we can believe that's happening. We can't believe it happened, but Ooh, you know, we're involved. We're invested in that. And so, you know, that's, that's what you want to reach for, I think, you know. And that's sort of the nature of Westerns too. And uh, yeah, not to steer the conversation too far away, but I'm interested in your opinion on this, but that's sort of the nature of Westerns too, because it all comes from this sort of revisionist history, you know, it's not really all myth, but it's, and it's not really all history, you know, like these are real people that existed at this time, but, you know, historical accounts are muddied and over-dramatized and stuff like that. So what we think of as sort of like the gunslinger really never existed, you know, but they existed just not in the way we think they existed. No, and, uh, you know, it's much more pedestrian, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's sort of like so it kind of does lend like you know you can have a genre where things like uh unforgiven exist and and a genre where django unchained exist right exactly. you know like that's uh it's such a broad genre and it's sort of weird because sort of people i think are are uh kind of taken aback by it because they don't know how broad it is or how broad it can be yeah, like you said, you know, it can it can range from the absurd to the the you know rooted in reality. I always go back to like like you said, Django is such a great and, and fantastic example of where it could go. And then I always go to the opposite end of that 
you know, as we talk about that pedestrian piece was open range with Kevin Costner and, and Duvall. Mm-hmm. And that gunfight was the realest gunfight I think I've ever seen. Everybody's missing smokes flying everywhere. Like, you know, nobody, they're 10 feet away and missing each other and stuff. And that was, that was awesome. Cause that's probably how it really went down. You know, like you got to reload in the middle of things and this dude, you're hoping he doesn't get there first. And, you know, it became this really super realistic and compelling fight for me at least. And so, yeah, I think that's the, the beauty of that thing. It can be both. It can be this wildly fantastic thing that I can get on board with, or it can be this pretty regular love story about these guys who end up in the wrong town at the wrong time, you know, and have to shoot their way out sort of thing for the, for the right reason. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the magic of the Western, which is why we wanted to tell this story for sure. Nice. So on the preview copy that we got from the folks at uh, Red 5, only yourself and, and Kyle are listed um, as uh, the creative team. Are, are you guys handling everything? Is, is, is uh, are Kyle doing colors and, and, and you're doing letters or are there, are there other people involved here? Uh, no, Kyle basically takes over all the visual. He comes from a graphic design background. So he, he did the art and did a lot of typesetting and stuff like that back in the day. So he, he did all the lettering as well. So yeah, Kyle yeah. all the, all the visual side of the book and stuff like that. And, you know, we, we kicked around um, taking that on and, and getting a letter and things like that. And Kyle wanted to have his hands in it like that. And I was like, you know, I'm perfect with that, man. You want to do that and, and make it flow with the art. That's great. Mm-hmm. So he was able to kind of plan as he was doing it. And that's, that's what made it cool. It gave him the, you know, the freedom to do what he wanted with the art and stuff like that, since he was planning the dialogue where it was going to go and things like that. So I think it lent itself to making a more, a lot more visual experience. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. Kyle and I. Cool. And yeah, so nice. work process then if, if Kyle's handling so many aspects of it, um, you know, is he turning things over to you? Um, uh, and I'm guessing uh, he works digitally. Yes. So is he turning over like digital thumbnails, pencils, inks, colors, or is did you guys eventually get to a to a place where like you were seeing it was more more finished? What what was the process of sort of like um, just seeing where the the development of a page? Yeah, Kyle would always would always plot it, and I would see it once it was uh, once it was inked. So he would get it that far and then I would see it when it was inked, you know, and, and then he would go from the coloring from there. And if I had something that I wanted to play another way or something like that, then we would talk about it, but that seldom happened, you know, because I said, uh, I like my artists to, to flex. And if I do my job on the page mm-hmm. um, and telling the story, and like I said, I'm only married to page turns, man. If I need it to be there, then you know, if I want to tell the story in that way, because that's my opportunity to cut right in, in, in filmic terms, that's my opportunity to, to surprise the reader or what have you. So that's really the only thing I'm married to. And so, yeah, Kyle would show me the inks, you know, just before we get too far, because that, that'd be a waste of time for him if I wasn't married to something or, you know, wanted to give him an idea. But yeah, like I said, that very seldom happened. So um, another question I have for, for writers here is that, what was it like? I know that you guys did character designs and, and, and probably traded some, some early notes, but what was it like that first time that you, you get a notification that the, the inks on page one, uh, I'm assuming maybe you guys worked um, 
in page number order, uh, but you get that 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 notification, that email that there's there's a page from from Kyle. What what's that like to have something that was in your head for for so long, um, that was words on a on a on a piece of paper, and now you guys have turned it into this this new form of storytelling where it's now words and pictures. What was it like for you that first time you opened up the the first page? Man, that's always the juice, you know. It's like you've by the time you've written it, you've concepted it. It's been hours in the chair, right? You've concepted it. And now it's been hours for him to be in the chair. And so now it's a thing, man. Now it's out there. And, and that first page is always the juice. Or if you've, you've written something you really want to see, like something that's, that's, you know, you've choreographed that fight or you've made this cool thing, or you've, you've hit that page turn. And it's going to be really surprising. It's like, man, when you open that thing, you're like, Ooh, <laughs> You know, it's like, that's why you keep doing this. You, you, nobody gets into comics for the money, right? Like there's, that's, that's pie in the sky. If you're working in comics or you're, you know, grinding it out at, at conventions and stuff like that, that's not the motivation. The motivation is, is the finished project and, and getting those things done. And mm-hmm. every single page is a step closer to that, to that thing. And, you know, that's, that's where the excitement comes from. That's what keeps you in the chair writing and, and people drawing and doing all those things. So, yeah, it's, it's still fun for me. I've been doing it for, for a number of years now. And, you know, I don't, it, it was very comforting to me as a writer, you know, I, I think especially when you're young and you're working and you don't know if you're ever going to publish anything. You don't know if anybody's ever going to love your work. You're not going to, you know, you're just in there pounding away at the keyboard, doing your thing and, and, you know, fighting off imposter syndrome and fighting off the will to give up and stuff like that. And I had a very comforting thought one day. I mean, it's morbid, but it's also very comforting. It's like, you know, if I'm lucky, I'm going to be old and I'm going to die with stuff that's not finished, right? That would be the dream as a writer because you're not wrung out like a dirty sponge in the sink. Mm -hmm. Like I can still write and I still have stuff done or I still have stuff to be done. And it's like, okay, man. So that's what really helped me calm down as a writer. It's like, if that's the goal, then just chill, man. Work on the thing in front of you enjoy it keep pressing use the time and get the juice that when it gets done man job well done then on to the next thing you know just keep working and so you got to get the juice from that thing from seeing the work complete from every page that comes through and from that collaboration with the people that you're working with and stuff like that because those are the things that are going to sustain you so yeah man when i get those pages in dude it's 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 awesome you know like that first time when I saw the pages come through and when Kyle and I had asked, you know, can a human body do that? Or can a human do that to another human? When I first saw that, I was like, Ooh, yeah, they can, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and that's, those are the things that you work for. At least those are the things that I work for, you know, is, is, is those pieces. So yeah, it's supremely important. Cool. So um, I have a question and then, uh, then I'll check in with Noah. Um, You know, this is, this is, Noah and I envision this co- this podcast as you know for people who are who are super into comics. You know, process it's called constructing comics. Um, so you've made this comic, um, and you you've had success. You've you've gone to two publishers. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, getting this book to Red Five? Was it you reaching out to them or somebody at Red Five seeing the book and going, "Hey, would you be interested in, in bringing it to us?" What was what was the process there? Yeah, Joshua Starnes uh, reached out to us. Like I said, we were doing our thing on Kickstarter. You know, we had, you know, we were getting the book done. We were, you know, 
modestly making the numbers that we set forth for ourselves on Kickstarter and kind of building our audience in that way and completing the project and things like that. And we're being thoughtful with the way we were executing. And, and like I said, telling that tight and concise story. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we wanted to make the book we wanted to make. And that's the beauty of crowdfunding, right? You get to get to get out there and sell it to your audience and, and make your thing and not be beholden to just about anybody. And that's, you know, I think when you're operating from that place, it gets noticed. And I, I think, you know, that that came through potentially on our on our Kickstarters, we did two before Joshua contacted us and, you know, I wanted to look at the book. So we sent the book over and they loved it and, you know, they wanted to pick it up. And so that was, that was pretty cool for us. You know, it's, I've, I've been published once before, but you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, it's that whole imposter syndrome thing that Mm -hmm. so many of us say we suffer from. It's like, I did it once, but can I do it again? You know, you're like, <laughs> you, you start thinking in those terms. I mean, not that I really think about that, but it's always there in the back of your mind on those bad days. And so it's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing, man. Like I said, it's, it's the juice all over again that somebody else likes your work, which is pretty cool, you know, and it's always makes it fun and it gives you an opportunity to, to get it out there to a larger audience, which is fun. And dude, it's always awesome to have somebody champion your work, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, any, anybody outside of your parents or your immediate family, the champions of the work, dude, is is wind in the sails. You know what I mean? Oh, man. Yeah. 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 So uh, I think I might be uh, tapped out for questions, um, but I will check in with Noah for, for maybe a final question or two. I don't have any final questions. Um, I've just been captivated by everything that you've been saying. And, and just to be honest with you, um, Eric, I haven't been on the podcast for like a month just yep. because, you know, nothing bad happened or anything like that. It's just been a while since I've been on, but it's been like, it's sort of great to return to it in 2022 with someone like you, who's sort of like reminding me of like, yeah, that's why I'm doing this, you know? So thanks for all your insights and uh, for, for talking with us. Cause it was, it was very inspiring. I appreciate that. No, thanks, man. Yeah. Anybody can do it. You know, <laughs> anybody can do it. You just got to get out there and keep swinging. Yeah, that's, 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 yeah, it's, that's, that's awesome to hear. So as we close up, let's, let's do a couple of things here. Um, Let's let folks know where the best place to, to follow you online so they can stay up to date on, on this book and anything that might come out in the future. Absolutely. You can find me at ericborden.com. My website is undergoing a redesign and kind of a refresh because we got the new book coming out and I'm going to get my my retail portal redesigned and stuff like that so you can find me there um you can find me on most of my social media on twitter and instagram at 100 proof eb so pretty pretty easy to find out there awesome so i know that you gave us an elevator pitch but let's let's uh let's let's do two things here let's let's talk about uh lead city one more time and then after that um let's touch on the importance of uh, like pre-orders for, for, for a smaller publisher um, and, and how important that is. Absolutely. Yeah. Lead City is a, a Western, takes place high in the Sierra Nevadas. It's quick and the dead meets Thunderdome. It tells you the story of what happens when a common man finds himself engaged in a free-for-all gun battle with seven of the West's deadliest gunfighters for the richest prize in the West. Um, in terms of pre-orders, absolutely, absolutely massive. If you know anything about comics at all, you know that issue one usually tells 
retailers out there how the rest of the series is going to sell. And so the more pre-orders you do through your local comic shop, uh, the more likely this book that you may love is going to get an opportunity to go on and, you know, maybe even do more issues. And especially for small publishers who are, you know, operating on razor thin margins that are, you know, ever, ever slimming down, especially, you know, with things like paper shortages and things like that. You know, when they take a chance on your book, they're really taking a chance, you know, not everybody's Marvel and not everybody's DC and those two and those two houses take up the majority of publishing. So yeah, when you, when you go to your shop and, and pre-order one of these smaller publishers books, my book, mine and Kyle's and red fives, it's uh, it's winning the sales for, for your average creator that gets to keep doing what they get to, they love to do. So supremely important and we would appreciate it. Yeah, one of the things that we also sort of when we when we have this discussion about the the importance of pre-orders is is that uh, maybe this is more of a theory. I, I don't know if I've ever seen this sort of come to to pass. And I, I don't order for a shop, but I'm I'm wondering, or I'm not wondering, but I'm thinking is is that like, say I own a shop and like two people that I know um, are my regulars, they go, hey, I want this, I want this Lead City book from. Um, red five you know that shop owner then might go all right you know i got interest in two should i grab like five more for the shelf so like that that's a possibility as well yeah yeah i would agree with you i've I've worked at a comic shop for a short period of time and that's that's one of those situations for sure where you know you're going to be influenced by the people around you and it's like oh you know people are always looking for i mean it's a speculative thing too people are always looking for that next great story or that next that next great end, you know, if you love talking about comics, you want to one that you want to be the one that discovers that thing. You know, it's, it's, it's its own sort of cool, you know, and, and people stand up and take notice. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's sort of like uh, when, when you heard of, when you heard the band first and you, you knew their, you knew their cool stuff when they were uh, you know, before they were uh, sellouts and, and selling out concerts and stuff like that, you knew them um, when, when they were, when they were cool and they were indie. Right. Hundred percent, man. It's cool stuff for nerds. Everybody wants to be the coolest nerd, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome, Eric. Well, you know, yeah. uh, this book is in previews now, right? Uh, the 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 January previews for for the first issue to come out in in March. So I have that correct? Yes, it is. It is in previews right now. You can go out and pre-order. The code is in the previews magazine. In fact, Bleeding Cool just put it out there. So if you awesome. Uh, you frequent that that site at all you can check it out there as well but yeah we're in previews we would definitely appreciate the pre-order and we promise you you will not be disappointed awesome well we're going to put a uh you know we're going to put a link to your social media and your website but also along with that we'll put a link to the to the previews page for this so anybody listening can just sort of open up their pod player scroll down see those see the website, see the social media, and also just sort of click that link and go directly to the previews page and get that code. So we'll do that as well. Awesome, guys. Super appreciate that. Thank you. Awesome. So I think that's going to do it for us. So um, for anybody listening, if you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use, we really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on Twitter. That is at Construct Compod. Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod, and Facebook is Constructing Comics. Uh, Once again, just thanks for listening. Please be safe, be nice to each other, and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.